kids, you can head out to your classes and everybody else will have a seat. Uh, once again, we're glad that you're here. Just remind you, if you're a guest, there's something you want to communicate to us. There's a connection card in your bulletin that you can use for that. And I especially want to say, and uh, I think you'll join me in this, we're really glad to see Zach Feldman uh, with us this morning. It must be, I've forgotten what it's like, but it must be awesome to be 19 where you can uh, be run over by a semi, and uh, if he wasn't wearing the sling, you wouldn't even know anything would happen, had happened, but uh, God was gracious, and we're thankful for that. Uh, I want to start with a quote that I, I think is just an extremely powerful quote. I think it's very true. It's by a man by the name of Brennan Manning, and he says that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today it's Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That this is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, how do we name the name of Jesus Christ and it not change our lives? How do we say that we believe in the one who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but as we sang, he left heaven to wash our feet, to serve us. How do we not serve him in response to that? And, you know, as I talk to people, I, I hear maybe not the words of that quote exactly, but the sentiment of that quote a lot. Um, about a week and a half ago, I got one of the most uh, unusual phone calls that I've ever gotten as a pastor. Um, if you ever call the church, and pretty much nobody uses the church number, everybody uses their cell phones, but if you ever call the church for some strange reason, basically I never answer the phone. But this was Thursday evenings about 5.45, and uh, nobody else was in the office other than Lori was with a client, and so I answered the phone, and, and there was a gentleman on the other end asking if our church had been out distributing these packets uh, with, a, with a Jesus uh, DVD in it. And, uh, and I said, I think so, because I didn't think we had actually started yet, but I wasn't sure. I thought maybe somebody had gone earlier, and so I'm like, yeah, we're doing that with some other churches, and like, why? And he said, uh, well, I'd like to talk to the people who left it at my door. There, my neighbor said it was a, there was a man and a woman who left this on my door, and at this point, I'm not quite sure if, I mean, he's very nice, uh, but I'm not quite sure if he's mad or if he like wants them to come back and tell him how to get saved, I'm not quite sure where this is going yet. And so uh, I'm like, well, can you uh, elaborate a little bit? Can you tell me why you want them uh, to, to come and, and talk to you? And uh, he proceeds to tell me that uh, where this was hanging is uh, one of the doors at his house that was next to his garage door. And that uh, he'd been leaving his garage door open some, and that someone had stole, stolen like a lithium battery out of his garage that he said was worth a couple of thousand dollars, and that he had filed uh, a police report, and his neighbors had said that, you know, that some people from True Life had been out. Uh, <laughs> 
leaving, you know, these packets on people's doors, and he was wondering if someone, you know, might have uh, taken his battery. And, and, he's, and he's, he says a lithium battery for an electric bicycle. He said it's really big. And so I'm like, well, I kind of doubt if people are like carrying around a big lithium battery around the neighborhood while they're passing these things out. But, you know, and we, we kind of talked some more. And I said, well, let, let me, give me your name and address and all this kind of stuff. And let me check on it. Because I didn't think we'd even started passing them out yet. I knew there's some other churches uh, in, involved. And, and so I called Philip, and, and you know, because Philip is the one who's organized all this, and uh, checked into it a little bit. And then I called him back and said, Well, do you still have the packet? And I asked him to look through it and just kind of go through it piece by piece and tell me uh, what was in there, because there's one piece in there that has. Um, kind of an explanation and the information for all the participating churches. And then each individual church was supposed to put their own in invitation piece in there. And so, um, you know, as we went through it, it was a manual that had left it, not, not true life. And I'm not saying that anybody from there stole something <laughs> from his garage. Uh, I, I mean, I'm thinking he's kind of putting some things together that don't go together, but you never know. Stranger things have happened, right? But as, as we were talking... Uh, you know, he, he said some things like, uh, well, if, um, if, this, if somebody from, you know, your church stole this, I mean, they're not really a Christian. And then he started talking about, if you remember a few years ago, uh, there, you know, there was a secretary at First Baptist that embezzled uh, a lot of money. He turned it into manly and more money than it really was. And he's like, that person really couldn't uh, be a Christian and, and, and so on and so forth. And it, it kind of gave me an opportunity to talk to him a little bit uh, about Jesus and, you know, and, and try to say, well, yeah, I mean, if somebody's really a Christian, it's going to change their life. But, you know, we're, we're not saved by what we do and some things like this. But basically, what he was saying is what that quote says, that if you say you're a Christian, you got to live like it too. And see, what, what confuses people so much is a lot of people, particularly in this area, have heard stuff like, well, if you say you're a Christian, if you pray to prayer, if you go to church, those kind of things, that it doesn't matter what you do, that it's all by grace, and so you're saved. I thought, well, Jimmy, you taught us last week that it's all by grace. Didn't you say, well, salvation is to be rescued from death to life, and it, you know, it's a gracious gift from God. It's received by faith. It's apart from works. Yeah, I did say that. You're going to have to listen today, or you're You'll either end up being confused or thinking I'm a heretic or, or, or both, but it's important that we get this. When our group was out uh, doing our visitation for Saturate last Saturday, and we appreciate everybody who's done that. I think it's getting finished up uh, today. Uh, the last house that we were on, uh, the gentleman wanted to talk, and um, he was... Uh, Interesting in that he said, you know, he liked to debate with Jehovah's Witness and Catholics, but the theology that he was espousing was actually a combination of Jehovah's Witness and Catholic theology. So I don't know what he's debating with them about, but I mean, he said that Jesus isn't God. And, uh, you know, that we're saved uh, by, by faith plus works, you know, that you, you got to do stuff. You, you can't just say it. And, and so really what we're going to try to get at in this message today 
is how do works factor into our salvation? Are we, are we saved by works? Last week we said no. Are we saved by faith plus works? Well, last week uh, we said no. But maybe the, the, the question really that we're going to focus on today then is are we saved by faith without works? Are we saved by faith that produces works? So how does all of this fit together? And so this is the big idea, okay? This is the the message in a nutshell, and I hope you can get this sentence, and then we'll read the scripture and try to unpack it, that we are not saved by works. And, and, And when I say that, that means like any works, that, mean, that, mean, that would include like 99% faith and 1% works. We're not saved by works, but unto good works because of the work of Jesus in us. Okay? We're not saved by works, but unto good works because of the work of Jesus in us. We're not saved by works, I want you to get this, but unto good works because of the work of Jesus in us. Now, let's read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Last week we focused on verse 8. Today we'll focus on verses 9 and 10. Uh, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For, which means because, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's read those verses again because they're so important. For by grace you have been saved. Remember, saved is delivered from our sins, delivered from death to life. Saved by grace, through faith, it's received by faith, not of ourselves, We can't produce it. We can't accomplish it. We can't help with it. It's the gift of God. If it's a gift, it has to be freely given, freely received. Not of works. Not through works. Because if it were works, we'd brag about it. Right? We'd tell everybody how awesome we are and what we did to deserve it. We would glorify ourselves instead of worshiping and glorifying Jesus. But then we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And once again, the main idea. Let's read it together this time. Salvation is not by works, but unto good works through the work of Jesus in us. Let's look at the three parts of that. Number one, it is impossible for us to be saved by our own works. And, and like I've said before, works would include Jesus plus our works, faith plus works. I'm saying it has to be 100% grace through faith, Christ alone, uh, for the glory of God alone, for it to be genuine salvation. If you miss, mix any works in there, you miss the whole thing. Okay? Now, so when we're talking about works, I mean, what am I talking about? Well, A basic definition would be anything that we try to do, anything that we do to try to make us right or acceptable or in a relationship with God, anything that we do 
to try to earn the forgiveness of our sins or to try to earn heaven. Now, there's lots of examples we could come up with for this. Here uh, is, is a list of some really common ones, okay? Church membership, right? Some people think that they're going to heaven because their name is on the membership roll of a church. Baptism. Some people think because I got baptized, whether you got sprinkled, dunked, whatever, uh, you probably talk to people like this, you know, ask them, are you a Christian? Yeah, I got baptized at such and such time. But you understand, if, if baptism uh, gets us into heaven, baptism makes us right with God, then Jesus didn't do it. If, if, if baptism makes us right with God, then Adolf Hitler's in heaven right now because he got baptized. Okay? Uh, confirmation. You know, some uh, denominations do that. And, but just remember, the Bible tells us, it doesn't say, you know, to be confirmed. It says we need to be born again, right? You can't confirm something that's not actually there. Um, you know, being a good person, this might be the most common answer, right? I'm a pretty good person, or I'm better than so-and-so, or I've done this, or I haven't done that. Problem with that is we're measuring our righteousness by other people and not by God's standard, which is his own perfection and glory. And he says of us that there's none good, there's none righteous, no, not one, that our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. So we have to decide if we're going to make it into heaven based on our own self-evaluation or God's evaluation of us. Uh, doing good deeds. Well, this text says not at worst, but lots of people tout what they've given or what they've done or how they've served or, or who they've helped. And, and understand, you may be saying Jesus and these things. I'm saying if you're adding anything to Jesus according to the Bible, you're missing Jesus. How about death? Now, you may say that sounds weird. Death gets you into heaven. Well, there's a lot of people who are functional universalists and think when it's all said and done, God's love is going to cover everything. He's going to let everybody in. Most people, at least around here, don't say that until you've ever been to a funeral. Right? Everybody's saved. Everybody's awesome, it seems like, at a funeral. Death, it takes more than death. It's pointing out a demand wants to die and then the judgment. Just being religious uh, that doesn't get you into heaven. That's what a lot of people uh, think. Um, let's keep going, Jacob. Um, how about just believing in God? Some people think, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Well, the Bible says the demons believe and tremble. Right? The, the Bible says there's one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. It, it says if, if we have the Son, we have the Father, but if we're not believing in the Son, we don't have the Father either. Some people think you're born a Christian, like it just descended through your family or something. But the old cliche that God doesn't have any grandchildren is actually true. Remember, we have to be born again, not just born. It's spiritual, not physical. I've talked to people before that they thought uh, because you were an American, that made you a Christian. Because America is a Christian nation or something, or we're so awesome or whatever. And, uh, okay, I'm taking by your reaction that that's ridiculous enough that I don't have to comment on it too much. Um, th this may be a little confusing to, to some of you, but... 
Just because you prayed a salvation prayer does not make you a Christian. Do you realize that? I'm not saying that it doesn't. But just praying a prayer in and of itself may or may not mean something. If a prayer is a genuine expression of repentance and faith toward God, the outward confession of of the the work of God in your heart, then I would say you are saved because the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I've talked to tons of people that that have prayed a prayer that have mouthed some words that either didn't understand it or didn't mean it or were just trying to get a fire insurance policy, that there was not genuine saving faith involved in that. And if your testimony is that you're relying on a prayer instead of Jesus... I would say you still need to get right with God. Listen, when, when I hear someone's testimony, or like in a membership class, when somebody writes their testimony, and people aren't talking about Jesus, I get really concerned. Because at that point, there's a really good chance that they're trusting in themselves and not him. Just because you walk down a church aisle does not make you a Christian. Jesus plus anything does not make you a Christian. Any kind of combination of faith and works does not make you a Christian. Now, you say, why is this true? Well, let me just quickly give you four reasons from this text. I, you know, I've talked about how Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 really all is all together in one unit. So really, there, there's four reasons that we can see from this unit of Scripture why uh, salvation by grace is incompatible with, with, with works. One, salvation by works is incompatible with our spiritual condition. What's our spiritual condition before Christ, according to verses 1 through 3? We're dead, spiritually, right? So let me ask you a very simple question. What can a dead person do? Can a dead person do any good deeds? So can we be saved by our good deeds? That's God's assessment, okay? Second reason, salvation by works is inconsistent with the purpose of salvation. What's the ultimate purpose of salvation? So if we're saved by our works, who's getting the glory? If we're saved by grace, who's getting the glory? So salvation by works is inconsistent with the purpose of salvation. Three, salvation by works is impossible Because grace and works cannot be mixed and it still be grace. Listen to what Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 4. He says, What shall we say that what then shall we say that Abraham our father is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Now to him who works, notice this verse, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, if you are trying to earn your own salvation, you're not earning grace, you're adding to the debt that you owe God because you're going about it by your own plan instead of by his path. Verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness, just like it was for Abraham when Abraham trusted God. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. 
And then fourth, salvation by works would inevitably lead to boasting. That's what verse 9 says. We're not saved by works, lest anyone should boast. That's what we would do. I mean, think, I mean, you know, when we accomplish something on the earth, we either brag about it or we're tempted to brag about it and we resist the temptation. Is this true? Now, think about it. The most significant thing you could ever accomplish would be to earn your way into heaven. Would you not brag about it? But that runs counter to the entire purpose of this whole deal. So we can't be saved by works because it would accomplish the exact opposite purpose that God has declared in his purpose in it. So what I'm trying to drive home to us is to give up on this idea of salvation by works. And I doubt if there's anyone here who think it's, thinks it's all dependent on that. But I'm, I'm almost certain there's some people here who think it's at least Jesus plus works. And if that's the, the case, I would beg of you to lay down your works, to lay down your self-righteousness, to, to repent, and to, to today to rely completely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to trust him and receive his grace and truly be saved. There's a new story a few years ago. A screaming 19-year-old woman trapped in a car dangling from a freeway in East Los Angeles was rescued in the early hours of the morning. The woman had fallen asleep at the wheel of her car. She was driving home at 12.15 a.m. The car went through the guardrail and was left dangling by its left back wheel over the edge of an overpass. I mean, she's barely hanging on before the whole thing just crashes. Uh, Every time the rescuers moved the car, she would yell and scream. It took almost two and a half hours for about 25 people Passersby, police, tow truck drivers, firefighters, uh, as well as their equipment to secure the car and rescue the woman. Later, Los Angeles County Fire Captain Ross Marshall was addressing the media uh, about this, and he said something very interesting. He said it was kind of funny because she kept saying, I'll do it myself. And do you understand when we think we can save ourselves by our own works as we're dangling over the precipice of hell? That it's more ridiculous than her saying that in this situation. So we're not saved by works, but number two, we are saved by the work of Jesus in us. Now, I've kept saying this whole passage fits together. Now, I've taken four messages to unpack it. I've preached it before all in one message, but I wanted to get into the depth of it. But let's kind of step back for a second and take a 35,000-foot view of it. Now, let's remember where we started in verse 1. We're dead. Now, let's think about where we are in verse 2. We're uh, living according uh, you know, to uh, the devil, and we're, we're children of disobedience. And then verse 3, we're conducting ourselves in the lust of our own flesh, and we're under the wrath of God. This is where we were, who we were, what we were, our spiritual condition before Christ. 
But now let's look at where we are in verse 10. We're his workmanship. Literally in the Greek, his work of art. His masterpiece. It's actually the word that we get the English word poem from. Think of what God's taken us from to where we are and who we are right now. 2 Corinthians 5.15, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, you're not a piece of junk. You're not worthless. Your worth, your value is in who you are in Christ and the fact that we're in union with him and he's making you new and he's painting a beautiful story with your life. I want you to watch something and I'm going to talk over it, but Andy found this. This is really really cool. Um, This this gentleman, his, his specialty is like restoring old paintings, old works of art, and, and, and that kind of thing. And um, it, it talks about here, this will be on the screen in a few seconds, I think, but basically where he has to start any time that he's restoring a painting is he's got he's to clean away the junk and, and, and the grime and, and the dirt and, and whatever's on there. Understand, that's, that's what God is doing in us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's cleaning us up. Remember, we talked about last week, he's justified us. You know, positionally, we're right with him. But right now, he's sanctifying us. He, he's cleaning us and cleansing us and, and transforming us and restoring us. He's making us new. He's making us different. He's personally working in our lives. And listen, there's, we have worth and, and, and value and, and, and we're special, not because of our performance, but because of Jesus' performance. We're his masterpiece. We're his work of art. He, he's doing something internal and, and supernatural and eternal that we can never do. We, we spend so much time on outward stuff, but he's changing us from the inside out. We're his masterpiece. Listen, my worth doesn't depend on my performance. That's kind of how I tend to think as a results-oriented male. But it's about the work of Jesus in me. And you know what? Your value and how we should look at people should not depend on outward things. But it's about the work of Jesus in us. He's doing something that we can never do. Listen, religion is about us trying to change ourselves from the outside in. He's changing us from the inside out as a beautiful work of art, as writing a poem in our lives. And, and, and the text here says that, you know, we, we talked about in chapter 1, how he chose us for salvation. You know, this happened outside of time and space and eternity past. But this verse says that he has prepared beforehand good works for us to walk in. That means he's got a plan and a purpose for us that we're called to live out. 
Listen, he didn't save us for us just to sit around and and mope all the time about everything that's wrong and how bad that we are. He wants to see us to see ourselves as his masterpiece, his work of art, and walk in obedience using the gifts that he's given us, living out the plan that he's laid out for us. And, And listen, if our focus would be on finding God's purpose and plan and doing what he's called us to do, it would change the way that we think and it changed the way that we feel. It changed the way that we live. It it would make us more full of joy and more full of peace and more full of hope if we believe the truth of this. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved by his works. But because of his work, number three, the last thing we need to see is that saving faith always produces good works. Let's read verse 10 again. I mean, just look at it for yourself. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Is that not clear? I mean, when you contrast verses 9 and 10, the idea is simply this. We can't do any good works before we're saved because we're dead. After we're saved, we can't help but do good works because Jesus is living in us and he's working through us. And so works are not the cause of salvation, but they're the evidence of salvation. Martin Luther said this, justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. I mean, the New Testament over and over commends Good works. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in, in, in heaven. Uh, Colossians 1:10, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work. Titus 2, uh, 14. Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous. For good works. But it's because of the work of Jesus in us. They are the inevitable outcome of saving faith. That's the idea. Okay? Let's go to another passage of Scripture. And we'll probably finish up here. But James chapter 2. Now, sometimes when people you know, get into discussing the New Testament, or sometimes when people want to say, well, the, the Bible's not really true and that kind of thing, one of the things they'll point out is, well, James and Paul contradict each other. I'm going to show you they're saying the exact same thing from two different angles, okay? So Paul is talking about in Romans and in Galatians, here in Ephesians, how we're justified before God. James is talking about how we're justified in a sense before men, And so he says this. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And he means, can that kind of faith save him? He gives an example. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? In other words, if someone, a Christian friend showed up at your door naked and starving, and you just pronounced a blessing over them and didn't actually help them. Is there any faith in that? That's what he's saying. 
He says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, he's going to move here to another illustration. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So simple question. Can you show someone your faith? Remember, he's talking about being justified before men without works. I mean, can you? He says, faith uh, produces good works. Works are the demonstration of genuine faith. And he says, you believe there's one God. You do well. He's like saying, okay, you believe there's one God? That's awesome. That's true. But even the demons believe and tremble. Just because you know something in your head, unless you're acting on it, it doesn't really mean anything. He says, but do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect, and the scripture was fulfilled which said, um, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, uh, think about that for a second. He said, by his works, he was justified when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar. Now, let me ask you a question. See who's a Bible scholar in here. There's not a prize for you, although there should be. What chapter is that in Genesis? Anybody know? Okay, Carl got it. It's Genesis 22. Now, what he's quoting right here, when he says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, what verse is that? I said it earlier. Genesis 15, 6. So if he was already believing God and God had already said it was accounted to him for righteousness in, in Genesis 15, 6, how could offering his son Isaac on the altar in Acts chapter, or Acts, Genesis chapter 22 uh, have justified him? Because his works demonstrated his faith. He was taking God at his word and acting on it, which is a biblical definition of faith. He says, you see then a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? All she did was she demonstrated her faith by doing that. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Very simple example. In the middle of the night in a small Midwest farming community, house caught on fire. It was a two-story house, um, and everybody got out except one five-year-old little boy. And, uh, you know, as the family was gathering outside, the father figured out that his son uh, had not made it out, and so uh, you know, he's hollering for him, yelling his name, this kind of thing. And, and finally, uh, the boy sees him, you know, standing at his window upstairs. And but the father knows he can't make it back into the, the, the house, you know, to go get him out that way. And so he goes to his son and he says, son, uh, you're going to have to jump. If you jump, uh, I will catch you. I'm, I'm right here below you. You jump and I'll catch you. And he's like, daddy, I can't see you. And, and his dad says, well, but son, I can see you. Trust me. Jump and I'll catch you. And that's how you're going to get saved from this fire. And so after a little bit of hesitation, the boy jumped, the father caught him, and, and that's how he got saved from the fire. So how did he get saved? Did he get saved by trusting his dad or did he get saved by jumping? 
Yes, that's the answer. Listen, he, he, he could have said all day long, well, Daddy, I trust you, and stood there and died. His faith was exercised when he jumped, when he obeyed, when he took an action. Faith without works is dead because real faith produces works through the work of the Son of God in us. So we're not saved by our works. We're saved by the work of Jesus. But his work in us, true saving faith, cannot help but to produce good works. So let me close by asking you two questions. What are you trusting in for your salvation? Is it Jesus alone? Is it nothing? Is it yourself? Is it Jesus plus works? What are you trusting in for your salvation? And then the second question is, if you would say today, I'm a Christian. I have a relationship with God. I, I'm going to heaven. Are there good works that demonstrate a genuine work of Jesus, genuine saving faith in your life? Is there fruit is your life different? I'm not saying you're perfect, but, but are you different? Do, do you have a mindset? Hey, I prayed a prayer. I've been to church. Uh, you know, Jesus died on the cross, so I, I can do whatever I want to do. Listen, that, that's heresy. If you're thinking that way, you need to realize that Jesus is Lord. And if you're saved, he is your Lord. And your life doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to him. And he's doing a work in you. And that kind of thinking is so prevalent and so common. What are you trusting in? Listen, you know, as the teaching pastor of this church and as the responsibility that the, the elders have to shepherd this flock and the kind of extra responsibility I have to teach the word of God, something that scares me is that some of you think you're cool with God when you're ultimately really trusting in yourself and not Christ alone. And it's my prayer that today you would settle that issue. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.